Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 the views and opinions expressed by rob black and his guests are not necessarily those of kdow or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision insightful informative irreverent we're ready 1220 kdow presents rob black and your money your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with the latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black. Welcome in. Rob Black, your money. I'm hopefully trying to get you to retirement. That's the goal. Doesn't always play out that way. Jobs report. It's Friday, first Friday of the month. You can look at productivity. You can look at fluctuations in the economy. You can look at the aging demography of the United States, how that's playing in the participation rate. In the end, you're really, and wage is obviously very important as well. In the end, I think it's really, really important to try to figure out what you look for in the jobs number. Thursday was a crazy day of market action that was ultimately resolved with an upside bias. What today brings is always truly anyone's guess. I do the show here from 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. And by the time the market closes at 1 p.m., it could be a reversal of fortune. Oil price is down, 31.66 barrel. And believe it or not, that the oil price is down is a supply problem. And yes, it is a problem for some emerging markets who have debt in the form of dollars, as well as a business model that oil helps service that debt and helps service their GDP. But the good news is a lot of the world is using oil, and the cost is going down. So much to the point that President Barack Obama yesterday proposed a $10 a barrel tax. You try doing that when oil is at $150 a barrel, you get laughed at. You do it when it's 30 people go, yeah, we did $10 a barrel of taxes. We can improve the roads and bridges of this country. We can put people to work. We, I, I get it. I get it. But anyway, will that ever fly through in the last year of a presidency? Doubtful. But back towards these job numbers. There were some significant bright spots in the Labor Department's release. The unemployment rate dropped to 4.9%. That's the lowest since February 2008. If you don't have a job right now, you should be looking. 
because now is a good time. Average hourly earnings climbed one-half of 1%. That's bigger than expected. But there was no change in December. So, again, you start blending the stuff together. That means average wages now have uh, climbed about 2.5% year over year. Labor market tightness may finally be able to be seen reflecting in the wages. Um, let's say you work at a radio station. You also tend bar. You're making more money in the tending of the bar at a local watering hole. You go to your radio station boss and go, hey, I kind of need a day off because I need to work more over there because I'm making more money. And they can't afford to lose you because the replacement is a guy who's got a wandering eye. And no one likes working with a guy with a wandering eye. So what they say is, well, how about if I give you another dollar, $2 an hour? And that's how the, the low unemployment, that's how it helps people create a little bit more wages. I think the economic data was pretty strong today. Although job growth is slowing, the increase in wages and the decline in the unemployment may give the Federal Reserve a little more support for raising interest rates this year. Yesterday, when I was looking at the odds of the interest rates being hiked again this year, it looked very slim. It had fallen because 10-year Treasury crashed on 2% because oil was a problem. Today, it's like, hmm, maybe there is some, maybe there is an opening for another rate hike. Like, no. Wall Street has this thing, very much so, that it has a, she loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. So given the weakening economic picture, market expectations for a rate hike in March are only at 10 to 20 percent, or at 10 percent, and 20 percent for all of 2016. So that's one of the bigger stories out there. Now, how did Wall Street re- react to the jobs report? Not well. Unemployment's at a, uh, unemployment rate is at an eight-year low. U.S. job growth slows, but again, it ticked lower. Exports pel- fell in 2015 for the first time since the recession. Um, LinkedIn, holy mackerel. Here's one where I hope you don't own the stock. Or I hope you didn't buy it yesterday. Listen to this. I was listening to CNBC on my drive home yesterday. And uh, CNBC, one of the traders, you know how they have that trading crap um, where they, they give investment ideas. I'd buy LinkedIn right before the close. You know what you're down today? 40%. And do you think they're going to come on and apologize for that that call? No chance in hell. And he said, I'd buy it right before the close, and you're down 40%. So let's say you bought 10000 bucks. Woohoo! Just like that, you ain't got much left. So keep that in mind um, when you listen to shows like that. So take a look a little more at the unemployment numbers. I would bore you. I could talk about the U6 unemployment rate. I could talk about the private sector payrolls versus the public sector. I could talk about the average hourly work week, 34.6 hours. That's that's about when your boss says, you know what? We need to get, bring that guy back who's got the wandering eye. What's his name? Because I don't want anyone getting overtime. Damn it. Not on my watch. They bring that guy with the wandering eye, and that helps the employment numbers. So... Anyhow, the December trade balance report was released. It showed a widening in the deficit, or an upwardly revised deficit of $42.2 billion for November. Exports were down one-half a billion, $500 million. Imports were up $600 million. Again, we got to get a pretty good economy. And something no one really is talking about, and we should talk a little bit more about it, 
is that with the price of oil dropping, I went by a gas station this morning. Guess where Unlet it was? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It was at an Arco station, which is, I think, the crap ones. You have to use debit cards. They don't take credit cards because they try to keep their costs as low as possible, in theory. What do you think gas was? $2.19. Damn. That's crazy. Hey, listen to this. In lower Manhattan today, you're just minding your own business. And a crane falls on you and kills you. So at least one dead after a massive crane collapses in Manhattan. Can you imagine? Literally, you could be walking right next to a buddy and a crane falls on your buddy and squashes him. Um, his wife, his kids, didn't get to say goodbye. Crane, what happened to your husband? Did he die slowly of cancer? Nope. Crane fell on him. So 8.25 in the morning, 25 police units and more than 100 firefighters were on the scene. Cars were squished. Pretty calamitous. That's why you have life insurance. Now, of course, there's going to be lawsuits here and stuff like that. But sometimes, uh, who was the, there, there was a female who died who was like the selfie queen. Like, pretty hot woman. You know, because like, she takes a lot of selfies and there's a lot of butt cheek and stuff like that. So, she just unexpectedly died at under the age of 35 with a stroke. So, things like that happen. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. We could talk money, investing, we could talk more. Um, don't be shy. It's uh, obviously one of those days where we could talk about anything, and uh, hopefully we do. So the lower price of oil, whether it be in Europe or the United States, if I'm paying two nineteen a gallon, I've got more money in my pocket at the end of the day. And you know what? I'll find a way to spend it. So maybe I'll get myself a video game that I haven't gotten in 30 years. Not 30 years. 10 years. So I've been video game sober for about 10 years. Maybe I'll break that sobriety. 800-516-1220 to get your calls on the air. It's 800-516-1220. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial. Coming up, we're going to be talking Ice Report with San Jose Barracuda. It's the Friday Ice Report. Your San Jose Barracuda Hockey Updates. One of my favorite parts of the week, I get to talk hockey. It's one of my favorite things to watch on television or to go to live at the arena. They both work. I prefer live at the arena. It's just a different perspective wherever you sit. Anyway, joining me now, the general manager of the San Jose Barracuda, Joe Will. How are you, Joe? Doing great. Good morning, Rob. Good morning. Um, I've made it out a couple times this year. Both times we've won, which I'm excited about. Um, with that being said, how are the Barracuda doing at this point? Uh, doing well. We're sitting in the playoff spot. Um, you know, it's a, it's a tough division, but we're playing pretty well right now. Um, you know, kind of turn it around in the last game. And uh, guys got a good break for the All-Star break here for the past week, and they're ready to go. Roy Sommer set to break the AHL record for most wins by an AHL coach. Uh, 637 wins. That's quite a career. 25 years, is it? Yeah, absolutely. 25 years coaching, 18 with the Sharks and, and in the American Hockey League. And, I mean, to put it in perspective, he is going for his win 637, and the next guys in line who are active coaches 
are at 300. So it's uh, they have a long ways to go even to catch up to, to Roy right now. And it really says something about the job that he's doing because he's been through um, a couple Sharks head coaches, and he's developing players that get sent up to the major leagues, uh, the NHL. Um, so he's done a really nice job, uh, very consistent. The Sharks are San Jose Sharks are consistent winners in the NHL, so a lot of that is done with the homegrown talent per se. Correct? Absolutely. He's uh, such a constant for us, and not just developing uh, good players for us, but really good, uh, you know, citizens in the community and everything else. Um, the night that I got to drop the puck at Katie O'Debbie, uh, he went out of his way to make sure that he shook my hand. I, I really thought that was a class act. So class act, in my opinion. Um, well, that. Go great ahead. to see you out there doing that, too. That was a lot of fun. Um, the Barracuda enjoyed the All-Star break this week. Um, we just watched the NHL All-Star game on NBC this past weekend, and there was that big three-on-three and John Scott story. Before we get to the Barracuda, let's talk about that NHL All-Star game, because I thought that was redefining. I thought it was a lot of fun, and I thought it was just a class act with the way uh, John Scott got propelled by the Sharks. It was, uh, you know... I talked to more people and, and watching my, my son's game, and everybody was really engaged. You know, it wasn't uh, something that was on off to the side here. People were watching the games. They were into the three and three games, and they were very competitive. And I think the NHL has really found a formula moving forward. And it was great to see our players were such a huge part of that with Burns and Pavelski were, were so engaged and, and so charismatic with, uh, with the fans. And then just to see the whole John Scott situation, and I know our guys really enjoyed that because he was a big part of our team last year. And John Scott is known as a journeyman, kind of a an equalizer, kind of a guy who helps get the momentum back for a team, i.e. a tough guy. What was your take as an executive in the hockey leagues um, of putting in someone who's not the most skilled, quote-unquote, all-star, but yet beloved by the players and an important role player in the game? Well, absolutely. I mean, it really shows that there's a, a fan process and, and fans voted him in and they were chanting his name in Nashville and everything else. And the, the, the great thing about it is we knew about John Scott. Not a lot of people, you know, know John, but we had John here last year and, and know a lot about him. He's a great family man. He's a, he's a mechanical engineer. Uh, you know, he has his uh, mechanical engineering degree from Michigan tech and, and uh, you know, he's played a lot of hockey. So he, uh, uh, you know, fans got to see that, and it was very genuine and very great to see. Now, let's talk about some of your All-Stars, Ryan Carpenter and Barkley Goodrow. What type of seasons are they having, and how did they do um, our All-Star game at in Syracuse? Um, how, how are their roles there? Oh, it was great. The uh, AHL All-Star game was also a three-on-three, and uh, with the skills competition and everything else, I think they had a, a good time there. They represented the Barracuda very well. Uh, Barkley Goodrow, you know, he came in from the San Jose Sharks where he had played uh, most of his career in limited minutes, and he he's came to the Barracuda and he's really uh, refined his game. He's playing a lot of a lot of minutes, playing a lot of good roles for us, and uh, the AHL recognized that, named him to the team. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, they also named Brian Carpenter, and he's uh, not only our leading scorer, but he's one of the uh, he's on the leaderboard in the American Hockey League, so it was great to see him get recognized as well. And I see both of them uh, being Barracudas for, for a bit longer, but uh, at some point being San Jose Sharks. That's exciting stuff. We're speaking with Joe Well, the general manager of the San Jose Barracuda. Veterans Ben Smith and Rafi Torres, both with the Barracuda on their road trip this weekend. I thought Rafi Torres was let go. I thought the Sharks kind of said, we're moving on. Um, was he re-signed? 
Well, he's he's on a contract. Uh, waivers. You know, he's a, in his third year of a, a three-year contract, and he was put on waivers. But it really wasn't anything about uh, his play up this period per se. It's just that he, you know his process is still ongoing to come back into the National Hockey League. So he he was out for quite a while, um, having some uh, knee procedures and such, and along with the suspension, he just hasn't played in a while. And you know some of the tools that we we used to have him come down uh, to the Barracuda for a few weeks. It just wasn't long enough, so we used a waiver process to uh, just allow him to have an indefinite period of time to uh, try and uh, play some games and, and get back to where ultimately we'd like like to see him and where he'd like to be is in the National Hockey League. Kind of like a John Scott character role player, Rafi Torres, when he was with the Sharks a couple years back in the playoffs. He's he's a difference maker, and it's tough to define because I think. Americans, we look at sports and we say, he hits a lot of home runs or he throws 100 miles an hour. But in hockey, you have these intangibles. Um, that's what Rafi Torres brings to the organization. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. He just, uh, you know, I, I guess the best way to say it is he keeps the other team honest. Uh, you know, when, they, when they're going for a loose puck or, you know, when they're trying to compete out there, do they, do they really want to kind of skate across Rafi's path? And, and uh, you know, it's just make sure that they, you know, uh, it, it's a physical presence for us that uh, has been very important to us. I know a couple of years ago in the playoffs when he was in the series, it was, it was very important when he was in. And finally, let's talk a little bit about, and I'm going to be giving away some, uh, I'm giving away tickets to San Jose Barracuda, but I'm going to be giving away some information on when they can catch the next home game is February 10th against uh, the Ontario Reign. Um, you know, one final thought for you is 27 games left. It's playoff hockey. I think hockey has three seasons. There's up until the all-star break. There's the all-star break until the end of the season. And then there's playoff hockey and there's nothing better than playoff hockey, but this crunch for the playoffs is pretty exciting as well. It sure is. It's really just a, a precursor for it. And teams are very, very tight in both the national hockey league and the American hockey league. And so our, our de- division here in California in the American Hockey League is very competitive and uh, every game matters. Everybody's really trying to get into the playoffs. It's a very similar path to the National Hockey League to where we uh, we also have four rounds in the AHL. It, it goes into June. It's a long process and it's really a process that, uh, of attrition. And uh, right now what we're trying to do is just uh, you know stay above the line. We are. We're in a playoff uh, spot if the season ended today and we're just trying to hold on to that to get in and and uh just keep going thanks very much joe will and good luck the rest of the way i'm sure i'll talk to you at least one more time before the playoffs start joe will general managers sj barracuda you can find them at sjbarracuda.com the fact that the nhl sharks and the ahl barracuda play in the same building is so darn cool and it's such an advantage for the team Find out more about games, you can go to sjbarracuda.com. Tonight, they're playing the Ontario Reign at 7 o'clock. Tomorrow night, 6 o'clock in Ontario Reign again. And the next Wednesday, they play the Ontario Reign home here at the SAP Center. Get tickets at SJ Barracuda. Every ticket's a great ticket. Tickets start at 12 bucks. It's a pretty cool experience for our family. Go to sjbarracuda.com. Visit Rob Black online at robblack.com. Now, back to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW.
Welcome back in, Rob Black and your money. Joining me now, as is typical on Fridays, Max Willens from IV Times. Great website, lots of content. It's the magazine for adults who have a brain. Uh, you can check it out at IV Times. It covers everything from politics to investing to technology to social media and much, much more. How are you, Max? I'm doing well, Rob. How are you? I'm doing well, except for I live 10 miles from the Super Bowl. Oh, dear. I work one mile. I, I, I work one street from Super Bowl City, and I'm, 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 I'm fried. <laughs> I'm burned out of it. So, yeah. Go ahead. Two years ago, two years ago, uh, when the Super Bowl was in New York, I just I, I've never been happier for the Super Bowl to to get played and get out of my hair. It was it's it's disruptive for sure. How much did the Super Bowl disrupt New York City? Because New York City is no stranger to big events. It's not, but the they managed they somehow managed to make Times Square even more crowded and more chaotic. And at the time, I was I would have to transfer uh, trains there every every day, and I was. I was pretty tired of it by the time the game rolled around. But, uh, you know, like any other person who lived in New York, we all just kind of put up with it, and it was fine. Oh, that said, it is a wonderful thing to show off your home city. And New York City is one of the greatest cities in the world, if not the greatest. San Francisco, I wouldn't trade it for New York City, but um, I, I love my home city, and it's it's fun to show off. And we've got some good weather this week, so we're excited that the world gets to see a lovely place to live. Um, with that said, Super Bowl, you've written an article, Why the Super Bowl 2016 App and High-Tech Levi's Stadium are the Future for NFL Fans. You think that's true? I really do. I mean, you know, you talked about how you guys get to show off San Francisco as a city, but uh, the NFL is probably pretty keen to show off uh, Levi's Stadium uh, to the people that are attending the game and, you know, probably at some point to folks watching on TV as well. So this is the second consecutive year that the NFL is going to have built an app that is designed specifically for Super Bowl attendees. They they did this last year in uh, in Arizona. They sort of dipped a toe in the water. But Levi's Stadium, as I'm sure you know, is so technologically advanced and so invested in being able to make it easy to connect to apps on your phones while you're at the game that this is the first year that they're really investing in the idea of an app being a big part of the the game day experience for people that that you know walk through the turnstiles uh, to NFL stadiums as I'm sure you're aware and some of your listeners are too the the Levi's Stadium app is really kind of an, an unusual and unique thing you can order food or drinks from the app that will be delivered right to your seat. You can watch instant replay seconds after any play has been blown dead. You can uh, order merch and uh, and memorabilia that can also be picked up pretty easily. And this is something that the NFL is very interested in. All of those features are going to be featured in the Super Bowl 50 app. And there's also some additional stuff baked into, for example, during uh, stoppages in, in action. If you're sitting there thinking, I wonder which of those Super Bowl ads is airing right now, you can actually pull them up and watch them on your phone as well. So they're thinking more and more about how to make uh, these, you know, incredibly powerful devices in our pockets a, a part of being in those stadiums as well. Now, my thinking on this is it probably has mostly to do with millennials. Millennials have the disposable income to buy a jersey. Millennials have the disposable income to get a double gin tonic. Um and a couple of years ago, I'd go to a baseball game, and I'd be like, that jerk, he's on his phone the whole game. And it looks like baseball and the NFL are saying, if you can't beat them, join them. And if they're going to be on their phones, give them the Wi-Fi and give them the experience that uh, gets them to spend a little bit more money. Am I sniffing up the right tree, so to speak? 
Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, baseball and, and football are similar also in that they are both games that have lots of downtime in them. I mean, unlike, say, going to a hockey game or a basketball game where the action is very fluid and you sort of take your eyes off the court or the ice at your peril, you know, pretty much after every play in football, unless there's some sort of two-minute drill, there's a, there's a stoppage. You know, guys have to come in and out to huddle. They maybe have to reset the, the chains to set up a new set of downs. And, you know, these days, more and more, when people are faced with a few spare moments, the almost out of instinct will just pull their phones out and start looking at them. And a couple of years ago, doing that at, a, at an NFL stadium was often a pretty unpleasant experience. There were just too many people crammed into too small of a space, and the wireless carriers, as well as the uh, internal uh, systems just couldn't really handle it. And they've figured out also that if you if you do all this stuff through the interface of an app, you can more easily measure what people like to order, when they like to order it. And that also offers an ability to make things more efficient as well. Um, the company that created the app for Levi's Stadium uh, told me for this article that they've managed to uh, reduce the operation costs at Levi's Stadium. They've also raised their profits too. So it's it's also an easy way to uh, maximize their profits on the games as well. Also, you could probably test out some things, you know, give some sections like filet, see if they actually ordered. If they do, then you roll it out. So it's all about the data, right? Oh, absolutely. And the thing that's interesting is that it's it's also something that seems to really be resonating with, with fans as well. I know that when I first kind of became aware of Levi's Stadium's app, I thought, I don't want to have, you know, some kind of thing that I have to engage with just to separate or supplement the things that I'm used to doing when I go to a sporting event. But it seems to really be connecting with people. So the company that built the Levi's Stadium and also the Super Bowl app, they've also done deals with a bunch of different sports and a bunch of different arenas. They're in Yankee Stadium in New York. They're in Amway Arena in down in Orlando where the Magic play. And the reality is, is that it seems to really be connecting with people. I mean, it, in Amway to cite one example where the uh, Magic are playing. They've only been there for one season, but at this point, 37% of the game's attendees use the app at least once, and that's you know a pretty powerful uh, comment on just how ripe this idea might be to take off. Now, you promised me if I come to New York and I eventually start using an app that Giants fans aren't going to start yelling at me about, like, calling me app boy and throwing stuff at me, right? <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that what you're going to start seeing as this starts to catch on is all the stadiums that don't have the technological capability to offer something like this are going to start retrofitting their stadiums. And all the stadiums also, I, I spoke with a somebody at an architecture firm that specializes in the construction of sports stadiums, and he was telling me that, you know, at this point, Levi's Stadium is very far ahead of the pack, but, you know, in about three years, it's just going to look like every other stadium. The the new Minnesota Vikings Stadium, U.S. Bank, is going to have just as much connectivity and capability, and the uh, Mercedes-Benz Dome down in Atlanta, where the, the Falcons are going to start playing very soon, also has that same amount of connectivity. So it's really just, you know, you guys are as is true in so many other facets, kind of ahead of the curve, but I don't expect that advantage to, you know, stay in place for very much longer. And you know what everyone in Santa Clara thinks about the stadium? Basically, everyone hates it. So <laughs> it's the typical, you know, build us a stadium, we want it, and then it's there, and then it's traffic. It's, it, it is a traffic nightmare. It really was poorly, poorly planned. So going to a game, you really need two to three good hours just to get there. So Well, when someone figures out how to build a sports stadium that attracts 80,000 people and it doesn't cause a traffic nightmare, that person gets a 
big, big gold star. It seems like a That's really fair. big problem. So, Max, uh, anything else about this article that we need to get into or anything else in the NFL that you're working on that's uh, relevant? I think that one of the things that's interesting about the game this year, I'm, you know, me and my team are working on a lot of stories about the ads. And, um, you know, every year the the ads are a big topic of conversation, and, and a lot of brands have been pushing over the years to try to make their ad a topic of conversation as you know, soon as possible, just to sort of grab a little bit of attention before we all get deluged with the spots themselves on the game on game day. And one of the things that's interesting, and this is a story that we'll be putting out later today, which shows that the a lot of the techniques that these brands were using to try to drum up interest and to try to get people talking about them, they it seems like they're not maybe as effective as they used to be, and it looks like people might be either catching on or maybe they're just not engaging that much this year. So that's something for you, to, you guys to look forward to um, later today and on into the weekend. It's interesting because um, last year I did a celebrity kind of auction kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And a friend of mine, he's, there are Super Bowl tickets. And, uh, you know, it's, it was right around March. So we just already saw what the tickets went for in Arizona. And he said, should I get them? It was two for $10,000. I'm like, hey, yes. I said, you're going to make at least 30% on that. You're going to have to wait a year, but you're going to make 30%. And sure enough, he made 30% on it. Um Ticketing costs and stadiums, it all seems to be going higher and higher. Oh, for sure. And I think, actually, that was the other thing that's sort of interesting is because of, of just how much – uh, how many well-to-do folks there are in the in the general Silicon Valley area? The resale price for tickets this year has been, you know, some of the highest that we've ever seen. There was a. They're probably not going to wind up being the highest ever. Last year in Glendale, there was uh, kind of a record-setting price because a bunch of the people on the secondary market wound up getting caught in a in a squeeze, but you know, you're looking at prices, the average resale price going well, well, well over five and a half uh, or fifty five hundred six thousand dollars. So uh just another kind of reminder that you guys out there in the Bay Area live in a kind of different stratosphere in a lot of different respects and it affects Super Bowl tickets too. It stinks because it's not how much money you make, it's your, sometimes it's your stock options. So like you can have a good salary and you can't get a good apartment. Because someone has a great salary, they get the good apartment. You can have a good salary and not get good tickets. Because someone's got a great salary, they get the good tickets. But that's it. It is what it is. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I started by saying it's a lovely city, didn't I? <laughs> Absolutely. And it's true. It's, every time I go out there, I, I love it. I fall in love with the place. I, um, uh, I'm just grateful I never have to find an apartment when I'm out there. I can just do an Airbnb. Yeah, that's the way to do it. And um, the apartments now that they're selling to 30-somethings, they're basically mm-hmm. jail cells. So and I know you have the same thing going on in New York, but I think we're leading in the jail cell size. Um, anyway, Max, thanks for joining us. Have a good weekend. Enjoy the big game. Uh, Max Willens with Ivy Times. You can find his article at ivytimes.com. Why the Super Bowl 2016 app and high-tech Levi Stadium are the future for NFL fans. Um, absolutely. So go where the money is. The money is with people who have phones and who are looking at them. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. You're listening to Rob Black and Your Money on AM 1220 KDOW and iHeart Radio Station.
Rob Black, talking all things financial, money, investing, and more. Thanks for listening to the show. I think you should have top ten lists. I'm a big fan of top ten lists. And they can be silly things like the top ten video games you've ever played, your top ten favorite movies. In investing, you want to have a top ten investors of all time list that you can easily go back to and remind yourself of of why you believe what you believe. Um, Whether it's Jack Bogle, who founded Vanguard Group. Keep costs low. Uh, Maybe it's Warren Buffett, who looks at cash flows. Um, A guy who at one point in time was earning $12,000 a year. Now one of the richest people in the world. Benjamin Graham is widely known for being the teacher and mentor to Warren Buffett. Um, I think Carl Icahn's worth looking at. He's known throughout the investing world as kind of a ruthless operator, kind of a corporate raider. Um, Not true value investing, but he does focus on companies that are undervalued. Uh, Peter Lynch was great, and he was great because he was kind of an aw shucks great. He's kind of a knee slapper. Great. He's best known for running the Fidelity Magellan Fund. I know you're saying, are you giving me a top 10 list? Like, I can give you a top 10, like, supermodels, top 10 Victoria's Secret, top 10 investors? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so, one of the things that I really liked about him is he beat the S&P 500 in 11 of the 13 years with an average turn of about 29%. Of course, I think there was a wonderful time to invest and be part of the mutual fund industry. But some of the things that he said was like, know what you know. It's fuel to predict the economy and interest rates. He would say things like, if you have plenty of time to identify and recognize exceptional companies, do it. He wanted you to avoid long shots. He thought good management's very, very important. Uh, probably better than good businesses, but he wanted you to buy a good business with great management. Um, he wanted you to be flexible and humble about your mistakes. I interviewed a guy for a position recently. Really a smart guy. Well put together, um, good package, good looking, athletic, smart, intelligent. But he had no humility. And right there I'm like, nope. Uh, you have to learn from, it, from your mistakes in the, in the industry. Uh, before you buy something, you should be able to explain what you're buying. So Peter Lynch was one of those guys that would say, you know, if you, if you if you can't draw it with crayons, if you can't show me what they do with crayons, don't buy it. Um, I like different types of investors as well. Um, there's a guy named Ron Mullenkamp, who I think is fantastic, incredibly smart. Um, but again, I think you should find a top ten list of things that work for you. Um, as far as investors, and again, keep going back and checking them out. When markets get tough or when markets get greedy, it kind of, you know, gets you. If you can come up with some maxims, um, buy low, sell high, things along those lines, that'll help you. Um, if you can write down the reason you're buying a stock, write down five of them. And maybe it'll be the same five reasons that is why you're selling that stock. Um, and that's something most people get wrong. 
So they know when to buy in their head, but they don't know when to sell. You know, LinkedIn just reported an awful quarter. Uh, do you sell it today? Well, go back to your list of five things while you bought. Was it great management? Was it great product? Was it a defensible niche? Was it revenue growth? Was it sales growth? Was it earnings growth? Um, was it margin growth? Was it margin comp- uh, expansion? There has to be something out there like that that makes sense to you. Um, and you have to live by those rules. I find that most people contact me after they're they're screwed. Yeah, I bought LinkedIn yesterday and it's down 40%. What do I do? Well, if you bought it for a short-term trade, it certainly didn't go the way you wanted it to and it just became a long-term investment. So I think it's important to you kind of figure that out. Um, anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about today. 800-516-1220. It's 800... 800- 516-1220. Um, taking a look today at investments and the stock market. Um, obviously, you know, one of the big stories of the day is the unemployment number. Ticked down about 4.9%, but it's slowing. So what do you want to look at? Do you want to look at the wage growth that was okay? Okay. Good. Do you want to look at the lack of, well, there was wage inflation, there's not a lot of inflation in our economy, though, right now. Or with the 10-year treasury, do you want to say, ooh, it sits under 1.9%. That scares me. Anytime the 10-year treasury is that low, it tells you world investors are saying, we want that because it's better than what we have. So people are afraid right now. It's kind of a fear angle. When it gets to 2.5%, 3%, that's when you start saying, you know, instead of this, I can go into other areas. Um, I think anytime the 10-year treasury bond is under 3.5%, you buy stocks. So with that said, are we at the beginning of a correction? It certainly is statistically starting to look more and more like uh, the economy is slowing or the business cycle is, is, is changing. You have the S&P 500 down 22, the Dow down 149, the NASDAQ down 91 Crude oil sits at $31. I don't think it's bad in the United States. And I think Europe and the United States and Asia consumers will benefit from the lower oil. So still not the right time to buy oil stocks because they're playing supply side games with each other. But there's some positives out here. You can find me online at robblack.com. It's robblack.com. <laughs> 